Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. Sir, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. Never tell me the odds. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast. Hey, Church Planner, today on our special episode of the Church Planner Podcast, we have a kind of like a sneak peek glimpse of another show. I want to welcome you. This is a Trojan horse episode of the Church Planner Podcast because we are Trojan horsing for you, Bookenstein, which is actually our YouTube show. Uh, And when I say our, not me and Pete, I'm here with Brooks Hammond. He is the content director of, well... I was about to say uh, Exponential. We worked together (laughs) back at Exponential, but he is the content director for NewBreedTraining.com, which, of course, is my home. And uh, maybe maybe it'll be your home in future. But uh, Brooks, welcome on, man. Thank you. It's exciting. You were the content director at Exponential. (laughs) I was. You know what? It's all blur. But, you know, guys, I want to just welcome you. We Brooks and I thought we'd do this today uh, because I'm actually traveling a butt ton recently. And so Pete and I won't be doing our normal scheduled show this week. But uh, we want to have this episode as kind of a segue for those of you that want to join us over on our YouTube show. It is called Bookenstein. And here we go. You're about to hear our episode on Dune which uh, this podcast is for eclectic, uh, the eclectic collections that you ought to be reading as a minister. They're not always theology books or biographies or history or even science. It's all of it, sometimes fiction. And today we hit Dune, the sci-fi classic, the uh, heavyweight champion of the sci-fi realm, uh, nigh unto uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, Frank, Frank Herbert, of Dune. So welcome. Enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to Bookenstein. Um, before we get started with our book today, I figure we start with um we Peyton and I have a lot of different books, and so we give some stories about some of the books we have. Um 
I have here a copy of Romola. You can't even see the front of it. Um, and basically, I was in a junk store one time at like this dirty old junk store in West Virginia, middle of nowhere. And I mean, you've got basically the guy buys a bunch of junk from estate sales. He didn't even know what he'd have. Their stuff's lying everywhere. So I'm over near the cash registers, just flipping through old stuff. And I see this book as somebody had tried to sell it. You might be able to see there. Somebody tried to sell it for $65 at one point. Wow. So I'm like, man, I don't know what this is, but this might be worth something. And so I'm like, how much is this book? And the guy kind of looks at it. He's like, dollar. So I was like, okay. So I bought this book for a dollar and I did some research. I'm not like, you know, I'm not certified to appraise books or anything, but I think it's a first American edition of Romola. And so um, uh, George, it's by George Eliot, um, which is um, a British author, actually a woman, but used a pen name. Yep. yep. <laughs> and so, so that's pretty cool. I don't know how much it's worth, but it's worth more than a dollar, which is what I paid for it. Yeah, you know, that that uh, scrawling on the front actually looked like a British, whether it was like a shilling or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. That actually, yeah, what what I can see actually looks like it's, uh, <laughs> I can't see it that close. You have to send me a screenshot, but I think that's British money, actually. <laughs> but uh, anyways, yeah, hey, what what are we into today? Well, if you could, you can kind of see behind me, we're talking about Dune today. Yeah, baby. Um, which I was introduced to much more recently than you. I saw the new movie was coming out and I was like, I've never read any of the books. So I read one in preparation for the movie. I've read about eight of them since then, a couple of board wow. games. So I, when did you, when were you introduced to Dune? Well, I grew up, my stepdad was a huge fan. So he ha- actually has one of the new Chris knives uh, that he got for Christmas. <laughs> Um, I got him the Dune mug, the House of Atreides Dune mug that you can get from Bud K. But um, he grew up reading those. Uh, I remember him sitting there. He had read them and reread them. Um, And then when I wrote Church Plantology, I was very much, uh, I had like cabin fever because I was writing that book 16, 17, 18 hours a day, sleeping, getting up, hitting the, the writing desk again. And I had a Barnes and Noble copy of that for $20. And I kept seeing it on the shelf thinking, you know, because I would daydream. Oh, man, if only I could read fiction. I had to just immerse myself in church planning. And it got boring, actually. Um, I like to keep a nice, well-balanced diet of my reading. I'm I'm omnivorous. I like to read a little bit of everything all one time. And I started to long for fiction and that was a bucket list book. I was never interested in reading it, but suddenly by being confined and cut off from everything else, I got super, uh, I, I just longed to read Dune. I know that sounds weird. Um, I had heard somebody tell me he is the Tolkien of the sci-fi world. Yeah. And I, so I was like, well, I got to read it. And people are like, dude, you haven't read that? How it's like if you read someone or if you talk to someone who reads fantasy and they tell you they never read Tolkien, you'd be like, what? So, anyways, I read it. Nice. Nice. It was the so, first book I read when I got off the uh, out, of, out of textbook writing jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, if you haven't read it, it's, it's basically 
which we're, we're going to probably have lots of spoilers, but if you haven't read it, you've had plenty of time to read it by now. <laughs> and you had a movie part one. So you better, you better listen to half this podcast. That's right. Although I think the book's probably better than the movie. Oh my gosh. Okay. So let's just get straight into that. What did you think of the book overall? Let's give an overview of what you thought. Yeah. I, to me, there's a lot of things that are really interesting that are different than a lot of other sci-fi books. Like one of the things is it's kind of, it's timelessness, right? Because most sci-fi books or even TV shows or whatever, they're trying to have all these flashy new stuff. And what makes Dune timeless is it's really focused on, it's got kind of an old world vibe, right? Like it's set in a world where like robots and AI are illegal. And so they're relying heavily on um, human brains and, and a lot of they strip away a lot of the technology relying on um, the environment and on their own wits. Yeah. To me, it was a masterpiece of writing. I could see why people called him the token of sci-fi simply because of his world building. Mm-hmm. When you watch the movies, the movies are very slow and um, I would say uh, emotive. Um, they're atmospheric because that's how he writes, which is very much like Tolkien. Um, you you get a sense of the world, like you feel like you're on Dune. And it to me, the other thing about uh, Frank Herbert was that I, I was surprised. I, I didn't know anything about it going into it, except I had seen the 80s movie, but I heard, oh, it's nothing like the book, uh, which was fair. Um, but he writes a bit like Herman Melville, where he'll do all of this um, kind of like Herman Melville tells you the story and then he weaves in, oh, this is what the whaling industry, this is what it looks like to harpoon and then to render its blubber down into usable product and oil. And, you know, and he goes very technical. Frank Herbert kept doing this. He kept going into this technical, but it was beautifully written. How did this culture adapt to this desert planet? And you're actually reading it thinking, could this science actually work? And it's it's a book that really is kind of a Trojan horse for environmentalism. Um, and, and that was really interesting. So there's a lot of themes, like you said, about outlawing AI, um, also being environmentally friendly. Um, I was reading a book recently where they talked about the Neolithics. When you live in a harsh environment, you can't see nature as it and me or, you know, mm-hmm. nature and us. You have to see yourself as a part of nature. And that's exactly what that race of people does in there is they see themselves as a part of the ecosystem. What part do we play in the ecosystem? Which when you're at the top of the food chain and you're the dominant factor in the ecosystem, you don't have to do that. You have a luxury that says, I can just dominate this ecosystem and not be a part of it. But when you're in survival mode, which is where these and it and Frank Frank Herbert really kind of contrasts that to people at the top of the food chain yeah. and the people that have to subsist. They're in a subsistence economy, and they've got to become one with the environment. That has implications. I want to get back to, but that, that was my take. No, that's really good. I mean, you on one ha- one side you have the Harkonnens who are like they're the epitome of greed and industry. They don't care about anyone or anything. And then you have the Fremen people 
who like they're harnessing the harshness of the environment for actually, which actually produces the most valuable substance in the world, the the spice. And, uh, or, and I guess not the world, the universe. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's some cool little twists and turns in the story too. Some, some revelations that come out that are, that are really exciting. You're like, Whoa, that's amazing. Which then makes you wonder, you know, does that kind of thing exist in our environment? I, I would say in our modern day, we are uncovering revelations like, oh, you know, like even like I read Deuteronomy, right? Because I work for through the word. Um, when I go through Deuteronomy, there's all this environmental stuff in Deuteronomy where God says, hey, don't cut, chop down trees. When you go into a nation and you're going to war, don't chop down all the trees because, hey, trees aren't men. Like they leave them alone or if you harness the or you harvest, you know, a, a bird's eggs, don't kill the bird as well. You know, like there's this idea of you've mm-hmm. you've got to take care and steward the earth, which we don't hear often. But God, remember, Deuteronomy is a sermon, the series of three sermons God gives Moses before they enter the promised land. And he's telling them, like, hey, I made nature. Be kind to it. Like, like this, you got to take care, you got to steward this land I'm giving you. And and it seems really dumb for God to have to talk about how we treat birds and birds' nests, but that's because we're dumb and we don't yeah. get that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and that was amazing. So I, I really enjoyed that, you know, and I, I think today um, so much of our sci-fi is based on Dune. Like I didn't realize until I read Dune how much George Lucas, sorry, George, how much he ripped off Frank Herbert. Yeah, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that. So a lot of our culture and a lot of our pop culture and and stuff that's just permeated our is taken from that. Yeah, you know. Yeah, one of the things I I've also found really interesting is the the role that religion and power play throughout through in, in his universe, because you have this kind of. Um, the people in power are trying to manipulate religion for their own ends. Right. Yes. And you see, and there's, I mean, it's not just Frank Herbert that identifies this. I mean, you have like Karl Marx talks about um, religion being the opium of the people Yep, that, that people are so focused on the future that as long as you can control that narrative of, of having them focused on the afterlife, they don't care what you do to them in the meantime. Um, I was reading actually last night, um, a book called, I think it's called This Here Flesh. It's by Cole Arthur Riley. And she was talking about when someone was sharing the gospel for to her for like the first time, they kept talking about salvation. And that's all they would talk about. That's all that a lot of people talk about in apologetics. And she's like, I just didn't care. Right. I didn't care. If it didn't, if Jesus didn't want to have something to do with my present, I didn't care about what happens when I die. <laughs> I remember we went church planning in New Zealand years ago and we started off and it was the most frustrating place to do evangelism ever because we called it happy town. There's not been any major catastrophe hit the people of, you know, New Zealand, the, the Westerners there, um, you know, there not been any major war on there. Like it was happening. The Maoris were another story, but for the, for the Westerners, Western culture live there, it was happy town. We're like, ah. We, we got no bad news. Why do we need good news? Like, we're happy. Life is great. 
But one of the other things that that really hit me was in the book, and it goes to this, it kind of connects what you said about religion and um, like Nietzsche's quote, opium of the masses, and even the the freaking, um, you know, the idea of becoming one with your environment. It made me think of church planning a little bit that, you know, we often will um, see culture as them and us, much like they, mm-hmm. the, you know, the Harkonnens see the environment like this is something to be used for our ends. We can look at a community or um, culture when we go into it as, hey, I am the church planner. I bring the kingdom. Uh, you're the kingdom of darkness. I'm going to come in here and it's them and us. And um, if you don't become one of them, and that's that's what um, Paul Atreides does in the book. He becomes a Fremen. Mm-hmm. He actually becomes one of them. And if you think about the greatest missionary that ever lived, Jesus, right? Um, he becomes uh, one of us. That is the incarnation, his incarnational presence. Now, the interesting thing is that uh, uh, Paul Atreides is the Messiah. Yeah. He is, he is the Messiah figure for this desert planet. It's all been prophesied, yada, yada. And so he goes in there. He doesn't know that this is true about him. All these prophecies are there, but that incarnational theology, that trope is there and he becomes a part. But I think we can learn a lot as Christians, when we're talking about missional incarnation, uh, we can learn a lot from the approach there where he embraces the people and their ways mm-hmm. to reach them and to lead them. And it's very much not like the Harkonnens who, again, they they come in saying, we're going to dominate you. We see you as less than us. We have to be careful of that mission. Yeah. Yeah. And it's to Frank Herbert's credit that he, you know, he's got these people trying to play power politics with religion, but it gets away from them. They never have control over it. Um, and it's interesting, you know, we would talk about the Fremen and Paul Atreides, who based, a lot of times is referred to Muad'Dib during the novel. And I think it's super interesting. You really don't see it very often where um, someone's appropriating in, like, I think it's a more honoring way, like Middle Eastern culture and Islam. You see a lot of people in uh, in any other literature um, are really disparaging towards that. Um, I even did like one time, so I was working on my master's degree and I did like a historiography of the Barbary Wars. And you could just trace uh, all throughout history, whatever war was going on, that's it's, they saw um, the Barbary Wars in terms of that. So they used to talk about that um about piracy during World War I um, when you had unrestricted submarine warfare with the Germans. They started, they, they talked about the Barbary Wars as, as kind of a legal problem with um, unrestricted. And so you then you go all the way to after 9-11, they start talking about the Barbary Wars as a form of terrorism. And it's always got this negative um slant towards Islamic culture. And that's like throughout American history, we, we see that, but we don't see that in Frank Herbert's novel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Well, you know, hopefully you guys will read it a, because it is a classic. It is the book I think in the sci-fi other people might 
uh, differ with me. Someone might say starship troopers. Someone might say, you know, stranger in a, in a strange land. But I think Dune is the quintessential sci-fi novel. They should be on everyone's bucket list. Um, I think it is the, 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 the chief of my, I think it's the Lord of the Rings, uh, book, uh, you know, to uh, the equivalent in the sci-fi world. But I also think there's a lot that you can learn about a clash of cultures. And for us as cross-cultural missionaries or people that are that are concerned with incarnational ministry, um, I think you'll learn a lot from it. And, and hopefully this is how you read books. I, I read a quote years ago that um, Tozer used to read Shakespeare on his knees. And he used to ask God, you know, enlighten me. This is the most you know, uh, famous literature on the planet outside of the Bible. God, enlighten me about why. What is it that's connecting with human beings? Much like Solomon looking at the at the wisdom hidden in the universe. Hopefully you'll pick stuff out that's different than, than from what even Brooks and I have found. You know, I think the other thing that's really interesting about Dune is that you have this theme of strong female characters, which yes. I think is based a lot on um, Frank's wife, Beverly. They kind of he bounced all of his ideas off of her. She edited the book. And um, and so he bases a lot of his strong female characters off of her strength because she actually gave up her own writing career um, so that she could support him and, and, and while he wasn't making a whole lot of money writing things like Dune. And so you have um, the B'nai Gesserit um, yep. group that is kind of running a lot of the the universe behind the yeah. scenes um, and just a lot of fe- strong female characters that you don't see a lot in um, other literature I think yeah that's true that's true and i think um even even with the bible right i mean people miss that in the bible too where um you know paul in romans 16 where he's talking about his fellow workers and the people to be greeted that are you know kind of the ballers in rome one third of them are women and uh, and that's how life works, whether you want to give attention to it or not. Paul definitely calls it out, gives attention to it in Romans 16. And Frank Herbert definitely does as well. Whether you call it out or not, you know, women are uh, they're more a force to be reckoned with. When I was in Wales and Welsh society, um, Wales was a matriarchal society. And the reason for that was that men went down in the mines and died. And so uh, a lot of the, you know, the, the copper works, the, 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 the mining communities, men didn't live long. And so women became the mucilage of society. They were the, they were the backbone. They're, they're what held everything together. So uh, Wales is actually matriarchal in a strange way. You had very, very tough men there, but it was still very matriarchal. And I think we, we underestimate women. Viking society, the, the same. The women were were warriors because the men died frequently. They had to be. So, uh, and again, you would expect that, right? In a harsh environment like that, um, that he writes about, women are every bit uh, the warriors that men are. Uh, they they have to overcome the elements and hardships and savagery. So, uh, it's good. And on mission work, you learn in church plants, mission work, women are every bit as valuable as men. It's when we get secloistered behind uh, church walls and we stop going on mission that we think it's a man's world. And that's unfortunate. So, well, anyways, guys, thanks for joining us for another episode and edition of Book and Sign Sci-Fi Edition today. Dune's been our book. 
Brooks Hammond has been my co-host, uh, much more knowledgeable. I mean, you dropped some things. I didn't even know what those Barbary Wars were. I'm going to have to look into that. So uh, <laughs> once again, I have been out read and out intellected. So uh, brother, that was fun. And hopefully you guys enjoy and we'll see you next time on Bookenstein. <laughs>